with a yeah. dope black family. Hey, you see that? He just walked out the room. Hey. And there you go. Uh, we got the preppers warning. It is go time. Operation World War has started, he said. I'm going to see what you're talking about. This thing is uh, 22 minutes. After yesterday's video about the army report, the military report, really, that we are preparing to go to war with China right now, we had a massive outpouring of people in our community, you right here in the channel, sending in emails and other communication that your family members who are serving in active duty right now are telling you the exact same thing. We're starting to see a building picture here. The pieces of the puzzle are coming together. And I think that you need to do exactly what active duty service people are telling their family to do. And that's kind of hunger down a little bit, narrow down your finances, get together what you can as far as preparedness item purchases, start to make plans for what to do when you don't have access to cellular uh, communication, going to the store, self-defense for law enforcement, things like that. Just get ready because times are changing. We're starting to see right now reports come out. These reports are showing that the United Kingdom has been tracking Russian submarines in the North Atlantic and the Irish Sea, as well as the North Sea, doing what they are saying is strange routes that they normally wouldn't see the Russians do. The UK Defense Chief Ben Wallace told reporters that this is highly unusual, and we've seen military strategists warn that this is likely an indicator that Russia is preparing for some sort of off books or maybe off record or maybe just outside of the norm military planning that they're going to go through with. The Russian central bank governor says that Russia is building up its international reserves. It's doing this with assets, ones that the United States of America and Europe cannot sanction. Currently, there's a rush for gold from central banks all over the world. Economic watchers are warning that most of the U.S. government and the Western government is going to be too late to catch on. We're seeing reports come out of U.S. Congress people and other politicians saying that the recent biological threat that the world faced may have originated with two separate uh, accidents at a research facility. Now, whether they have waited until this long to tell you the truth or this is more just misdirection, we don't know. China is denouncing this move as a major escalation of war after reports showed up showing that hundreds of United States military personnel and troops have arrived in Taiwan. This is as the U.S. President Biden promised that the U.S. will defend Taiwan against China. In Tunisia, we have reports showing that they are refusing IMF, International Monetary Fund, loans and they have expressed an interest in becoming a member of the BRICS group. So here we have another country stepping away from the United States of America, away from the USD's use, and saying we're ready to join up with China and Russia. Bloomberg is reporting that publicly available artificial intelligence has the capability at this time to predict stock moves that are based on open source intelligence and headlines. They say this may have been used for months now. Things are starting to heat up in the U.S. spy world after an FBI, uh, FBI official said that anyone working on behalf of a hostile foreign nation to violate the United States of America's national security and freedoms, especially from within U.S. borders, must be held accountable. 
This is after recent news came out showing that the Chinese were actually holding up their, uh, basically their own commissions and their own spies in the United States of America. We're starting to see how the spy game really ramp up. You have spies from America and Europe inside of Russia being activated. You have spies from China being activated inside of America and inside of European countries. This is starting to become the mixture of the Cold War and the Hot War. The European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has once again warned China, saying that it must not use force against Taiwan or anywhere in the Taiwan Strait. This was a speech that was made before the entire European Parliament. Her comments come after a high-stakes visit to Beijing earlier this month, during which she sent a renewed warning to the Chinese president, do not meddle in Taiwan affairs. She called for peace and stability in all of the Taiwan Straits, stating that the EU stands strongly against any unilateral change of the status quo. Basically, they've invested all of their interest in the USA, the US military, and by proxy, Taiwan, and if China comes in and tries to take over Taiwan, as it will, then that's going to disrupt the status quo. Basically, all of the investments that they have put towards the USA and towards the Taiwan Strait. They say the use of force by China must not be used. Eastern and Central European countries have historically favored closer ties with the US. They are particularly critical of recent comments from countries that are shifting away from the USA. The German foreign minister sought to distance herself from the French president's recent speech in which France called for a, uh, a basically decoupling of allied action with the United States of America, flew over to China, met with the Chinese president, basically said, we have no problem with you, China. Let's keep our economic and uh, you know, defense status the way that it was. We know that you have a quarrel with the United States. We know you have a problem with Taiwan and all of those other American allied countries and basically leave French, uh, the French people out of it. This was a unilateral and violent change in the status quo, according to European countries. They added that military escalations in the Taiwan Strait will be a horror scenario for the entire world. We've seen politicians say that the importance of updating the bloc's China strategy with EU and American uh, values must be held strong. The foreign policy chief to the EU, Joseph Borrell, stressed the need for all of the Union to avoid World War III, again, taking a defensive posture against the United States of America, stating that the EU has never explicitly defined China as a threat to European Union security as it has openly with Russia. However, the, uh, the policy leader did call for a recalibration on the Union's strategy on China saying there is an evolving global picture right now. And what we know in our community as the East versus West, the China, Russia, and BRICS versus the United States, Canada, European Union, and NATO. The debate on China has exposed new splits all across Europe. The leaders of the parliament's major political group have marched to the podium to give their takes. We have one of the leaders who helms the parliament's largest group, a central right European People's Party, he accused the French president of destroying European Union, uh, unions and unity with the trip to China. They are echoing criticism all across the Union. However, Macron did have his own defense. The president of the Renew Group, which is the French president leader's party, 
helped build back and hold off his political ally in Paris. The head of the Socialist and Democrats group also fought back against Weber, accusing basically anyone against France of being happy to criticize European leaders like Macron in Germany, while staying completely silent on the horrors of the United States of America and any of the continent's right-sided bearers. The fault line that is breaking open in the European Union over China underscores challenges that we're going to face in World War III between these major international nuclear weaponized countries. Member states are trying to closer uh, bring closer their ties with China. Some others are trying to become more aligned with Washington and the United States' more confrontational approach towards the Taiwan Strait. What we're seeing happen is a division. Which side a country picks will decide whether they are a victor or a member of the losing party in World War III. Canada has announced that they are handing over the AN-124 aircraft that was confiscated uh, from Russia to Ukraine. The Ukrainian prime minister has said that we are preparing to confiscate other assets of the aggressor in Canada and transfer them to Ukraine as part of the new package of sanctions, in particular against one company, Volga Dnepr, or Demper, uh, they said in a statement. An AN-124 is one of the largest production cargo planes in the world. Russia right now operates 36 of them, of which 10 belong to the sanctioned company, which transports cargo, maybe even illegal cargo, uh, for the Russian oil, gas, and aerospace industries. What has happened right now is sending ma uh, massive shockwaves through the world. The G7 countries have issued a stern warning to other nations that support Russia in its ongoing war across Europe. They have stated that these countries that do not back the NATO and American approach will face, quote, severe costs. This statement comes after a two-day talk in Japan where the foreign ministers of the G7 countries discussed new geopolitical problems, including World War III. They have said, we reiterate our call on third parties to cease assistance to Russia's war or face severe costs. In a continuation of that quote, they said, we will reinforce our coordination to prevent and respond to third parties that are supplying weapons to Russia and continue to take action against those who materially support Russia's war. The G7 foreign ministers in a communique have basically laid out plans to uh, divide the country or divide the continent even further. In another statement that underscores the resolve of the international community to hold accountable the countries that provide support in World War III, the statement warns that the G7 will take measures to prevent any nation from evading or undermining the weapons sanctions of which those weapons will be delivered to Russia. The ongoing conflict between Ukraine, NATO, and Russia is a major, major issue that's leading us into World War III. Ukraine is seeking closer ties to America, basically selling itself, selling its mom, selling its sister, selling everybody that it has to the United States. You know, the annexation of Crimea came in 2014, and a conflict happened at that point in time that led to the uh, unfortunate loss of life of thousands of people. In recent years, Russia has been moving forward with the inevitable plan to basically take it back. The international community condemns Russia's actions but that's basically all they can do before the warplanes of NATO head over to Russia. 
On the sidelines of this meeting, the United Kingdom, the USA, Japan, France, and Canada have formed what they call an alliance. This alliance will basically put new pressure on Russia to basically get it out of the international nuclear energy market. This is a broader effort to isolate all of Russia, all of China, in what they are calling a whole of NATO approach. The German foreign minister also weighed in on these problems, saying that the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, will not be able to implement the plans that Russia has for Ukraine, and that an exhaustion and war fatigue will lead, possibly, to the end of Russia. They claim that Russia's irresponsible nuclear rhetoric and its promise to deploy new tactical nuclear weapons inside of Belarus have been what they see as a cause of concern among the entire G7 community. They say these actions and statements are unacceptable, and it's the right and duty of NATO and G7 community leaders to act defensively, militarily, against Russia. In related news, as part of a foreign minister's communique that was published on April 18th, the Group of Seven, or G7, reaffirmed its support against China. Guys, how many months now have I been telling you that we were seeing a division between the allied countries to America and to NATO versus directly China and Russia and anyone that backs them from the East? And over and over again, we have had month after month of countries making a decision. France going towards China, uh, some African nations going towards Russia and China. Uh, you have uh, Tunisia making their decision, Brazil, South American countries making their decisions where they're going to go, what nation they're going to ally themselves with. And now you have the entire G7 split right down there saying that we're for the USA, for NATO, against Russia. And we're for the USA, for NATO, or a free and open Indo-Pacific NATO-like alliance against uh, China. So here they've said in the published communique that the G7 has reaffirmed its support of Taiwan. It condemns China for coercion, intimidation, and threats, and the use of force. It was issued by one of the president's controversial statements against Taiwan, where they told Politico in a statement that the crisis over Taiwan is not, uh, this was France's leader, in European uh, interests, and that the Europeans must not be American followers. The G7's top diplomats met in Japan ahead of the G7 summit, which is going to take place in May, and according to different news reporting outlets, it's a template for what global leaders are going to basically let us into to get the world ready for the open acknowledgement of World War III. I want to get to at least one or two viewer questions today. The first viewer question comes to us from Jared Green. Question, is it possible that the reason Russia keeps changing commanders, oh, we, we covered that. I don't know why I didn't cross it out. Old school here, pen and paper, write it down, talk about it, cross it out. Jennifer C. says, has the relationship between the Prime Minister of India and the President of China deteriorated? I thought they had an Indo-China relationship going on. So they do. But the that relationship between uh, India and China is basically one that has always held off war. If India and China ever went to war, gosh, that would be an absolute disaster. The USA must try to keep India on its side, or at least as a, an impartial party to the whole conflict. Task Force Rebel says, question. I'm about to buy a house close to the sea in the south of Denmark. They named the island, but I will not. 
How do you think in case of Russia launching a, uh, an attack scenario in the Atlantic Ocean, will the wave from such a scenario be able to cross the British Isles and reach my new place? Is it going to be safe to live here? So Silverblade re uh, replied and said, no, the Poseidon is not like that, although it will trigger a catastrophic tsunami. It most likely will not be uh, radioactive. The fireball will lift up into the air. The fallout cloud will be lethal for 600 plus miles downwind. A continuation reads, nukes don't have the colossal energy or volumes of displacement that mega tsunamis caused by earthquakes or landslides do. Even a 100 megaton bomb, and uh, guys, this is just a community reply. Uh, I would suggest that you go and do some research if you want to back this up. Even a 100 megaton bomb is a blip in the power of a uh, huge tsunami, like the Boxing Day tsunami or the Sturega slide. The volume of such a nuke creates a gigantic localized tsunami, could be 500 meters high, but it does lack volume to cross oceans and do that kind of damage. But it will flatten everything within 100 to 200 kilometers and go way upland into rivers funneling the volume. But its lack of volume will rob its power, uh, will be robbed of power as it crosses coastlines. It's hard to say how far inland it might go. C is one danger as the shockwave might trigger underwater landslides like the Storega slide, generating additional tsunamis, which could be much worse. D scenario is a doomsday weapon. It won't be used for that type of strike, only if Russia feels they are being annihilated and they have nothing to lose. And, you know, that's what Russia has said over and over again. And that's one of the entire community's main concerns is that Russia will feel, because we have these other countries, we have Poland, we have other nations saying that Russia needs to basically die. And because they have openly called for Russia to no longer be a power country, that in the perception of Russia and its leaders is the same as complete annihilation. You know, for a, uh, for a country and that government to be uh, undergoing chaos and what the United States used to boast as a regime change, that country that is undergoing that type of change in administration sees that as a complete deletion of their way of life. And so when Russia says that when Russia is threatened or the Russian government as a whole no longer exists, that's what they mean that enough damage has been done to the Russian name that as a country, it no longer stands on its pedestal of a world power or a first world. These other countries that we have around the planet are literally calling for this to happen. And in doing so, they're bringing us that much closer to that one point where as a country, you can see Russia say, well, it's worth it now to light up the nukes. So they say uh, most likely this would be the U.S. and coast, east and west, LA, San Francisco, Seattle, San Diego, Columbia River, Estuary, uh, Salish Sea, uh, Chesapeake Bay, and New York on the east. I guess at the end of the day, we just have to consider where we are going to reside. You know, I, I, I never like to give anyone any sort of advice. You have to give, make your own opinions based on the information that you can gather. That's what this community is about, giving you information, showing you what's happening around the world, letting you make sound decisions for what you think is right for your family. Now, for me, I think that if you have a position right now that you can live happily, regardless of what's happening around you in the world, then it would be in your best interest to take up that advantage. That is an advantage that you could have. Uh, if you say, well, I can live happily, but, and then you start to weigh the pros and the cons of the location, uh, you know, the people around you.
uh, the crime in the area, the potential for uh, economic or uh, geopolitical instability, the uh, potential for natural weather events or cyclical events to harm you. Well, if the pros outweigh the cons, then it's not worth it. But if the rest of the geopolitical things went away, if you could live happily there, I would suggest uh, that you at least think about that opinion for yourself. Next question is Irish Rebel, and this will probably be our last one today. Make sure you check back here tomorrow at Full Spectrum Survival, only on YouTube. Headlines from America and from around the world. Viewer questions, tips, tricks, cracker ideas, SHTF ideas, we have it all. Irish Rebel says, question, how can India plan for war with China if they are in the BRICS with China? Well, look at France and what's happening with America. Just because a country is supposedly align with another country does not mean that they will not act in what they see as their own best interest. So uh, the Indians, uh, the India's country and the Chinese, they have basically not wanted to see that sort of war because that they're just massive. I mean, the amount of people in those countries fighting against each other, it would be brutality bringing us back centuries. And then you add in nuclear weapons and we might literally go back centuries. So let's each do what we can to get ready. If you have comments or ideas, please leave them down in the comment box before uh, below you. If you have a question, please leave the word question first, as each one of these individuals have. That's what I have searched for is the word question on all of these. And we're getting to them, guys. So if you have a question, leave the word question first. If you want to answer someone's question, go on there in the comments and look for someone who has a question. Maybe you can answer it, help them, save their life, give them peace of mind, really do anything that you can. But most of all, from my family to yours, Please stay safe and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by each one of you, all of our members on Patreon. Make sure that you check out contingencymedical.com. I wish I'd brought my autograph book. Your attempts at humor bore me, Spider-Man. Fortunately, I won't have to listen to them much longer. <laughs> now, Indians and Indians were both colonized by the British, but the Indians rejected the British culture. They rejected the British religion. They rejected the British food. They rejected the British way of doing things and hold on to the British technology. You know, and then we have the Nigerians, that is us Africans, um, accepted the British culture, the British dress code, the British food. British every religion and rejected the British technology. <laughs> now, now that's where the Indians are the most advanced. They don't need to speak English to make a cell phone. But me and you are colonized to believe that the more you speak a better English, you can clean a job. Intelligence. So he said that the Indians rejected the British culture. The Indians also rejected the British religions. They rejected the British food, the British way of doing things. But they accepted British technology. So they rejected the British 
religion over there in Britain, the religions are 52% atheism, 10% Christianity, 8% Roman Catholicism, 7% Islam. So they stayed with rugged Hinduism. You know, even though they were physically colonized, they refused to be spiritually colonized. They rejected the British food. That's fish and chips, English breakfast. And they stuck with their curry-based foods and their basmatis and their jasmine rices. They rejected the British way of doing things, which is the way they dress. You know, suit and ties compared to the cultural and ethnic garbs worn in India. As well as they rejected British music. Then he said the Nigerians who were also colonized by the British did the opposite. They accepted the British culture. You know, they accepted the British dress code, the British food, all the British religions, but they rejected the British technology. If you look today, Nigeria is still a third world country and technologically retarded. <laughs> Look at India. As soon as colonization was over, it became independent from Britain in 1947 and became a nuclear power by 1974. So that's only 27 years. 27 years in between colonization and building a nuke. And we all know that uh, nuke capabilities, nuclear capabilities, ensure that you will never be colonized again. So that means even while colonized, the Indians never lost their racial, ethnic, or religious, spiritual identity and held on to Hinduism. And that's what saved them. And they were planning that this day would eventually come, that they would get their independence from the British and colonial rule. And in order to do that, I mean, even under colonization, that means that the Indians had a secret society, a secret society of businessmen and military men that were preparing for the aftermath of colonization. But the Nigerians started to talk, walk, and dress like the colonizers. They started to eat like the British, started practicing the British religions instead of their own tribal customs, which erased some of their own heritage. But they rejected the one element needed to attain and retain their freedom which was the technology now let's look at the foundation of black america the emancipated ex-slaves of america now of course colonization and enslavement are two different things all right enslavement is forced compliance and cohabitation with your oppressor you live in close proximity to your slave master, possibly in the outhouse or in the house itself. To the colonization, you might not necessarily ever come face to face with your oppressor. Now with the foundation of black Americans, the mistakes we made is we accepted the American religion, the American dress, the American way of life, the food. We accepted American holy days or what they call holidays. And this was mostly by force and suppression and foundational black americans were kept didn't reject but were kept from american technology intentionally underdeveloped much like europe intentionally underdeveloped africa so 
So the moral of the story is, if you reject your colonizer's culture, but keep the technology, he can't colonize you forever. The Indians understood that. That's why the Indians stand down in the G20, about to move over the bricks and get the respect of a sovereign nation. Now, what foundational Black Americans are trying to do, we're trying to get our respect as a sovereign nation within another sovereign nation, which is infinitely more difficult than independence from colonization, which makes the plight of the foundational Black American unique over all others. The fact that we still exist is a miracle. Bunker. For his own in high intensity battle. A spokesperson for the German Defense Ministry would not comment on this issue, saying that these are internal documents and the state of readiness is not going to be commented on at this time. Now, this leaked documentation highlights what is seen as an ongoing challenge to military analysts that multiple NATO countries are facing fulfillment issues in their commitment to the United States of America and to NATO against Russia. You have places like Germany defending themselves against potential threats from Russia because they chose a side. Now, Russia sees Germany, sees Poland, sees the USA, sees Canada, sees all these other countries as their direct enemy. The issue right now is uh, looking at multiple facets in fulfillment. The country's military has had a long-standing problem with uh, being led to call to action and looking at increased reform in the region. The failure to deliver a fully equipped division to NATO could also have wider implications for the entire military alliance that relies on each member state to provide forces and equipment to support its regime-changing or status quo stance. The memo also raises questions about the readiness of multiple countries, including Germany and its armed forces. How will they respond to threats from other regions, such as Middle Eastern regions, Africa, or even China? Tensions are continuing to simmer in all of the European Union and across the entire continent. Uh, continent. NATO remains on high alert, they say right now, because they are looking at an increased military presence and new exercises that are taking place, showing Russia that they have basically the manpower and the ability to cause Russia to go into, uh, you know, basically the, uh, the underworld. In addition, the ongoing conflict has led to renewed calls for NATO members to increase their spending and maneuvering capabilities. This shows that the military readiness of NATO might not be at a position that it can withstand a multifaceted war. This linked memo comes at a time when Europe is facing a array of challenges like these new tensions with China, tensions with Russia, ongoing refugee crisis events, and economic instability. Germany, as one of the continent's most influential countries, has a crucial role to play according to strategists. As such, a country's military readiness is going to be closely watched the United States of America in the months ahead. Now, what we're basically seeing is these, these different countries looking at what is happening. And you have all these other nations saying, yes, we promised to come to your aid, NATO, when there was a call to action. 
but we never expected it to happen. And so now you've asked us to give our weapons, give our manpower, give our uh, uh, ammunition, all to Ukraine to fight against Russia as a huge, huge proxy war of NATO versus Russia. Now when it's time to build back up all that has been given away, these countries are saying, look, we didn't expect you to say, give away everything you have. We expected you to say, call it to arms when it was necessary, call to action with these weapons, with this ammunition, when it was needed. Instead, they're just funneling it all to one country. Now when America starts needing to borrow ammo from other allied countries, you know there is a problem. That's exactly what we are seeing. We are past, according to some strategists, the point of no return. South Korea has reportedly agreed to lend half a million rounds of 155-millimeter artillery shells to the USA to help Washington provide ammunition to Ukraine. This is according to an article in one of the Korean newspapers. The decision is expected to increase the flexibility of the U.S. to supply Ukraine with necessary ammunition. The South Korean government has reportedly decided to lend the ammunition to the U.S., to Ukraine, to minimize the chance of South Korea shells being used in the conflict in Ukraine. So basically, we're putting in a fucking bomb, right? I don't understand. Look over here, don't look at this one, a big misdirection game. We'll give you the ammunition, USA, you can give your ammunition to Ukraine, and then South Korea will be seen as an active party, not bringing it against it the damnation of Russia and China. The U.S. State Department hasn't commented on these reports, and the move comes after new U.S. military documents showed that pressure is being exerted on South Korea by the USA, by Western allies, to directly get involved in this NATO versus Russian war. South Korea is a major producer of artillery and ammunition. It so far refused to provide lethal weapons to Ukraine, saying that for its own security situation and the evolving nuclear and missile threats from North Korea and China, it basically needs everything it can make. This report shows that the shells would be used to fill the U.S. stockpile. The U.S. government asked to buy the same amount as it has in the last year, 100,000 shells or more in February. However, the South Korean government looked for other ways to supply basically Ukraine through the USA. One source was quoted as saying, We've opted to significantly increase the volume of shells, but take the rental method. After exploring how to uh, respond to the request of the blood ally in good faith, while sticking to the government principle of not providing lethal weapons to Ukraine. So here they have calling the USA a blood ally, providing them with weapons in good faith, but sticking to the principles of the Koreans, not just directly giving the weapons or the ammunition to the Ukrainians. They've called this a rental agreement. Both the South Korean government and Washington have confirmed that they are initiating new artillery supply deals. There hasn't been any official acknowledgement, but we're starting to see behind lines that this is what's happening. You know, a lot of people don't understand, you know, people will keep their, uh, you know, their Glock and 100 rounds. But if you're, if you're fighting, the likelihood of you hitting enough of your targets with that 100 rounds is greatly diminished when your enemy is also fighting. So if you have an enemy that is also throwing lead your direction, you're not standing there, strong arm, strong hip, good fighting position. A lot of times you're throwing ammunition downrange so that 
maybe an allied person can get to another area, get undercover, hide, run away. You're trying to keep your enemy down. And so people don't understand that it takes an absolutely massive amount of ammunition just to remain at a standstill in a war. So I guess from a preparedness, from a SHTF or a prepper point of view, that needs to go on the priority list of what a person needs or needs to consider in terms to evading conflict, avoiding conflict, and handling conflict in a world without the rule of law or in a long-term duration uh, emergency. These documents that we're talking about were marked top secret. They were seen by Reuters showing South Korean officials grappling with new requests and basically a war that was being fronted on multiple uh, corners. The documents show real concerns among U.S. allies despite the South Korean position that the U.S. military should be what they see as the end user of their weapons. They suggest the possibility of selling multiple rounds for 300,000 to Poland, since getting the ammunition to Ukraine quickly would be the ultimate goal of the United States of America. Here we have Russia being given the following warning. It is unlawful under United States law for non-authorized persons, including but not limited to, Russian citizens and Russian entities, this letter warns, such as the Rosatom and the subsidiaries, to knowingly and willfully access, possess, control, export, store, seize, review, re-export, ship, transfer, copy, manipulate any of the technology or technical data, direct or authorize users to do the same without such Russian entities becoming authorized recipients by the United States Department of Energy. This is a direct warning to Russia by the USA to not touch any American or American facilitated nuclear technology or data inside of Ukraine. It's not clear right now whether the uh, corporation involved has responded to the letter. The Energy Department's National Nuclear Security Administration has told reporting outlets that the letter is authentic. These were first reported by Russian news outlets, RBC, saying the Department of Energy's National Nuclear Security Administration confirmed it being legitimate. Shayawa Hassan, the Deputy Director of Public Affairs for the National Nuclear Security Administration, added that the Secretary of Energy has the statutory responsibility to authorize the transfer of unclassified civilian nuclear technology and assistance to foreign atomic energy activities. The DOE does not comment on regulatory activities. And what we have happening, to break it down, is a lot of uh, do as I say, not as I do, controlling, manipulative, uh, you know, uh, forward, uh, data forward control. The USA basically can say, you know, we'll give all this nuclear data, nuclear tech, nuclear capabilities to a country, but if you see a country do that with Iran, well, that's illegal. If you see a country do that with North Korea, immediately know you're supplying, uh, you know, a dictatorship with the ability to uh, cause nuclear disaster. Because Russia is controlling multiple regions in this Ukrainian conflict, the USA's invested interest in this war skyrockets. And because of that, you have countries like Poland and other nations basically saying Russia must be defeated, must be taken out of the whole of Ukraine, and then must be annihilated as a world power. 
we have a, a documented letter on the training of special operations forces that I think you might get a lot of information out of. I want to read to you some of the highlights that we have uh, brought together here. SOF, that's the special operations forces, are vital components in a modern military conflict. They're very highly trained. They're equipped with new skills and equipment to conduct unconventional, unconventional, hostile, and sensitive operations in different environments. These forces are being seen as instrumental in modern warfare, which blends World War I, World War II, and now World War III together. For the U.S. Special Forces, the training program is highly rigorous and comprehensive. With a 24-day assessment and selection course, these candidates for SOF are tested physically and mentally that make sure that they're capable of enduring challenges in the training program. So as I read these things to you, I want you to think about how members of your group can be similarly challenged to be ready for urban conflict. The course is designed to test the soldier's commitment, determination, and the soldier's ability to work as a team member. Now that's a real key part because we have a lot of uh, team leaders and not very team members. The risk there is that if everybody in your group is a team leader, they're going to do what they think is the best thing to do in a time of crisis and chaos. That's extremely dangerous for your entire group. Once a candidate is selected, they must complete six different phases of training. This is range uh, skills, uh, other skills like uh, techniques that are essential for these soldiers. It includes direct action, reconnaissance, counter-terror, unconventional warfare, foreign internal defense, security force assistance, and counterinsurgency. So let's talk those over again. Special recon, so basically being able to go out and gather information and act on that information. Counter, uh, counter crisis, I'll call it because YouTube doesn't like those words. Unconventional warfare, well that's what you would consider uh, something like an urban war. Foreign internal defense, getting into an area that you do not know the location, you do not know the local laws, what the people are like, and defending that region. Security force assistance, that's basically acting as a hand to existing law enforcement. One of the most critical aspects of their training is survival skills. Why we focus so heavily here on this channel because I believe wholeheartedly that if a person can camp for two weeks, they can survive almost any disaster our world has to throw at them. Sure, there's caveats. Sure, if they get a nuclear bomb dropped on them, well, they're not going to be able to survive that with their fire making skills, of course. But what about when a tornado comes? What about when an earthquake comes? What about when they can't go to the store? What about when there's a uh, biological threat? All of these different things that can happen, if they can camp for two weeks, it means they have meal planning already figured out. They already know the staple ingredients and things to do. They know basic first aid. They have a communications plan that might be disrupted when your cell phone stops working. They already know all these things. Soldiers have to be trained on them to survive in hostile and difficult situations. They have to evade capture by enemy combatants, resist and power of resistance if captured and escape captivity. The training is essential for special force soldiers and uh, they will often operate behind enemy lines. 
they're going to use their survival skills to make a difference between what would be seen as a mission success or a mission failure. As you know, the landscape in all of the world is changing. The role of your group and group members is going to be increasingly important, especially if your group undergoes a long-duration emergency. You have non-state actors, you have uh, different groups that are coming into power, you have insurgent forces, all of these things are creating new challenges for members of military alliances and local groups. Special forces are better equipped to handle these challenges, and that's why at least a subset of your family or preparedness group should be aware of that type of training. Moreover, the ongoing conflicts and exactly how complex an environment you can have even in the desert, even in the mountains. The U.S. Special Forces played a crucial role in the conflicts there, and they will play a crucial role if you see a conflict break out in the USA. Let's go ahead and take a viewer question today. First one is from Neff Dream. Hi, I've been watching you for over a decade now. Thanks, Neff. Question, what is your point of view regarding attacks beyond hacking of infrastructure in Canada? Do you see something kinetic, medium term? Yeah, I know that we talked recently about different countries activating their in-nation, international groups. That's why you're seeing these fires take place in Russia. You're also seeing these fires take place in America. You're seeing these fires take place in Ukraine and in Europe. So we have this happening. When would just infrastructure and supply chains turn into terror attacks? <clears throat> That's really up to the people calling the shots. So is it a possibility in Canada and in California or Texas or uh, anywhere across America or South America or Europe? Absolutely, especially with China's growing military and economic influence, the fact that we are openly saying we're backing Taiwan against China, openly NATO is backing Ukraine against Russia. It is a matter of time until all of these countries get together and say we're doing something about it kinetically on the ground. How do you get ready for that? Well, through training, through an understanding of what's happening, and through prepping. If you're prepared, you don't have a reason to be scared. You know what can happen, and you have a plan if it does happen. I hope you and your family are finding yourself in that position. From my family to you and yours, please stay safe and keep watching. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by you. All of our members on Patreon, make sure you check out contingencymedical.com. 